There's only one road into Key West, but you won't believe where it can take you. Travel back in time to a city rich with history. Discover amazing artists and musicians. Taste seafood fresh off the boat, or just kick back and soak up the island vibe. For more about Key West, visit flakeys.com. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're about to experience the life-giving teaching of Bishop Kevin Foreman, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Center. To find out more about Dr. Foreman and Harvest Christian Center, visit our website at www.harvestcc.me. And no matter what, remember, love God, love people, and love life. How many of you ever put a plan together and your plan didn't pan out and you sitting there saying, Lord, I'm discouraged, I'm defeated, I'm depressed, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm this and that. All right, touch your neighbor say, today, we're going to get that thing handled. You're going to learn how to bounce back when your plans don't pan out. Hallelujah. Lift your Bibles out. Let's make our confession of faith before we receive the word of the Lord today. And it's there on the screens. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. It gives me abundant life. I am not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. This word teaches me that I am more than a conqueror. My spirit and my mind Remain standing. Go to Proverbs 24, 16. Proverbs 24, 16. I have you stand when we read the words so that we get in the habit of honoring things. Proverbs 24, 16. Say, I'm a person of honor. Proverbs 24, 16. Keep calm and bounce back. How do you bounce back when your plans don't pan out? You had a plan. You had a strategy. You had it figured out. You knew exactly how much money you needed. You knew exactly how many times you were going to supposed to stop at the gas station. You know exactly. Y'all ain't saying nothing here. You know. You had it all figured out, and then all of a sudden, here come hell. Y'all don't know nothing about hell here? If you don't know nothing about hell, you're the one raising hell for everybody else. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man. Now, some of you might say, well, Bishop, that's not me because I make mistakes. Let me go on and set you straight at the beginning here. Watch this. Everybody look at me. Look at me real good. The scripture says that Jesus has imputed his righteousness unto us. That means that when the moment you became a Christian, and if you haven't become one yet, by the end of this worship experience, you will be. The moment you become a Christian, everything that was right about God, he imputed or gave to you. And everything that was wrong about you, he took it upon himself. Which means then, righteous means in right standing with God. Please understand, if your credit's not in right standing, you can't get approved for the deal. 
So if you're not righteous, what you pray, you pray amiss. Except for this fact that Jesus made you righteous when he hung on that tree. So watch this. Check this out. For a righteous man, which means when we read that, we're not reading about somebody that does everything right. No, we're talking about you. So what you can input, uh, impute right there is not just a righteous man, but you can put your name right there. For may fall seven times. May have seven setbacks. May have seven sets of plans that don't work. But look at it. And they're going to do what? Rise again. I like the scripture because it's not even but. It just says and. You missed it. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Which means touch your neighbor. Say neighbor. Your bounce back is not an issue of if. It's an issue of when. And I got an announcement for you. Tell them I got an announcement for you. Today is the day where you bounce back from those plans that didn't work. I need a praise to go up to heaven right here. Oh God, I said I need a praise to go up to heaven right here. Father, I decrease that you might increase. Speak to us now that we might move in what you have ordained. We honor you for it. Taylor, make this word for us in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. You know the title, so just shake somebody's hand as you're taking your seat and just say bounce back when your plans don't pan out. Bounce back when your plans don't pan out. Now watch this. Watch this, Harvest. We're going to cover a lot of territory today and many scriptural references, so I want you to stick with me. I think perhaps this might be one of the most important messages in this particular series. Uh, I want to give you some facts, though, first uh, to help encourage you in your journey. According to the Huffington Post and the BuzzFeed, watch this. You maybe didn't know this. Bill Gates. Anybody know Bill Gates? Bill, Bill Gates. He came up with Windows. Got it? Uh, 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 watch this. Uh, uh, and Microsoft and this whole thing. Did you know his first business failed? Gates' first company was called Traffle Data. It failed miserably, and when Gates and his partner, Paul Allen, tried to sell it, the product wouldn't even work for them to sell the company. Gates and Allen didn't let that stop them from trying again, though, and they bounced back, and $76 billion later. Okay, this ain't going to work for me. Y'all better get some, act like you up in here. Feeling a little militaristic today, so I said, touch your neighbor and say, don't mess with Bishop today. Now, if you were going to mess with me, you should have got me last Sunday. But today, to, don't do it today. Uh, Jim Carrey. Y'all know Jim Carrey, the mass. Y'all know Jim Carrey. Ace Ventura. Y'all know him, right? Did you know he used to be homeless? Jim Carrey uh, revealed on Inside the Actor Studio that when he was 15, he had to drop out of school to support his family, and they eventually started living in a van. And Carrey went from having his dad drive him to comedy clubs in Toronto to starring in mega blockbusters. But he was homeless, but he bounced back. So the richest man in the world used to be broke. And one of the funniest men in the world used to have life tell him so many jokes he couldn't say a joke back. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. Benjamin Franklin. You, you know, it's all about the Benjamins. I'm being funny. I'm quoting a song. Uh, you, you, you know, he, he's the face that's on your $100 bill, right? One of the founding fathers of our country. Uh, invented bifocals, the lightning rod. Did you know he dropped out of school at age 10? Benjamin Franklin's parents could only afford to keep him in school until his 10th birthday. But he taught himself how to read. 
And he went, eventually went on to, event as, uh, to invent, as I said, the lightning rod and bifocals. And he's one of America's founding fathers. But at the age of 10, all of a sudden, what looked to be a good plan for his life changed. And he could have just said, woe is me, I'm 10 and can't read. Or he could have said, let me go get this hymn book and I'm going to sound it out. Y'all not hearing me. Now, I don't know what you've been through, but, 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 but so far we got three real tough setbacks. And these people bounce back. Oprah Winfrey. Y'all know Oprah, don't you? You, 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 you know Oprah? Uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey gave birth at age 14 and lost her child. Did you know that? She was molested as a child, and she eventually ran away from home. And at age 14, she gave birth to a baby boy who shortly died thereafter. But $2.9 billion later, and a TV network later, and the highest-rated daytime television show later, she bounced back. But at 14, it looked like her plan was messed up. Looked like her plan was jacked up. When they fired her from the Chicago TV studio because they said she was too emotionally involved in her stories, she could have said, well, I guess I'm just going to sit here and die. Or she said, I could just take over. If I say amen, lights. Thomas Edison. Failed. A thousand times before creating the light bulb. Now, the exact number of tries has been debated, ranging from anywhere, depending on who's telling the story, from 1,000 to 10,000 attempts. But it's safe to say this, y'all, that Edison tried and failed a whole lot before he was successful. And do you know what his response to repeated failure was? This is what he said. And I quote, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Touch your neighbor and say, you didn't, fail. you didn't fail. You just learned something. Can I take it another further? I got three more examples because I, I want to set the stage for how do you bounce back when your plans don't pan out. Dr. Seuss. Anybody like green eggs and ham? Green eggs and ham? Sam, I am. I do have a question. How do you get the eggs to be green? Food color, and somebody said jelly. Now, you could just put spinach in your eggs and then mix them together with some cheese. That's what I do. So I have green eggs and turkey <laughs> bacon. Now, now, watch this. His first children's book, which was called And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. Listen to this. 27 publishers told him no. But he bounced back. And a half a billion books later. Everybody in here knows who Dr. Seuss is. If you don't know who Dr. Seuss is, you know somebody that knows who Dr. Seuss is. In fact, some of y'all really tried to go to Dr. Seuss to get a real prescription. <laughs> well, if I just put this cat over here in the hat, maybe things would work out for me. Will Smith. Y'all know Will Smith? Well, his life got flipped, turned upside down. <laughs> because in 1989, he owed the I, the R, and the S $2.89 million in back taxes. Before he took the show uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, he had had some success in, in, in hip-hop and, 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 you know, and all that. And, and so the uh, problem is, though, is you know, he had Pookie Nim doing his taxes. 
Now, some of y'all like, Bishop, who's Pukinim? Everybody has a Pukinim. I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, Latin, whatever. Everybody has a Pukinim. You have a Pukinim. They may not call them Pukinim. They might call them Leroy. They might call them uh, Jose. They might call them uh, Juan Lee, something. But everybody has a Pukinim in their family where they know everything about everything yet don't know nothing. You can ask them a question about anything and they got an answer, yet the problem is, is that none of those answers they seem to have ever work for them. Okay, it's real quiet. $2.8 million to the I, the R, and the S. So you know why he took the show? He took the show because he said, I got to make some money. Watch this. You're missing it. He didn't even take the show because he was interested in the show. He took the show because the IRS said, we're going to be taking between 60 and 70% of them checks. We're going to need you to pay us. But he bounced back and went on to star in the second highest grossing film in U.S. history called Independence Day. That's a big bounce back. No, you don't understand. He owed them $3 million. Can I get another one? Trying to set the stage. Trying to set the stage. Michael Jordan. Y'all heard of Michael Jordan? Arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Arguably. I don't think nobody still has as many rings as him, do they? No. Right. So then he's the greatest. Oh, so who does? So who has more rings? Oh, Bill. Okay. Bill, well, Bill Russell and Michael Jordan kind of the same. So, <laughs> so, okay. All right. So one guy has more than him. So he's one of the top. <laughs> okay. All right. Here, here's my point. Here's my point. Uh, as a sophomore, he was rejected from his high school, high school varsity basketball team. Could you imagine being the coach, watching the game? Is that Michael? Back then, they didn't want me. But six NBA championships later, he bounced back. Now, now, now watch this. I want, to give you, I want to give you a very simple but a very powerful line. Being a Christian doesn't mean that every swing you take will be a home run. Being a Christian means that when you strike out, you bounce back. But, but I want to do something, though. I want us to do this. I want us to evaluate what happens when plans don't pan out. And it's one of two primary scenarios that cause our plans not to pan out. So when we say plans not panning out, we just mean they didn't work the way we thought they would work. They didn't work the way we intended for them to work. They didn't work like what we planned. Therefore, it didn't pan out. So, so one of two primary scenarios. Everybody say two. Now, I'm going to talk us through it uh, just a little bit, and then we're going to kick into third gear, uh, just, just a few through these. But I want to talk you through this very strategically uh, for your life. Say strategic. strategic. All right, nobody goes to war without being strategic about how they're going to go to war. We don't uh, just send troops and say, well, just shoot some folk on the other side. No, we have war plans. We have strategic plans that have to be implemented. Now, I got it? So I want you to be strategic with your life from this day forward. Say, from this day forward, this day forward. I will be strategic. In my life. All right, so two primary scenarios of why plans don't pan out. Here's the first scenario. The plan was plagued. The plan was plagued. Bishop, what do you mean the plan was plagued? Well, what plagued here just simply means that it was doomed to not work. It was doomed to not work. It was destined to not work. Its, it, its entire makeup was set up in such a way that it had no ability to work. Okay. Bishop, how, how do I check the plan to see if it's plagued? First thing you got to do, did you commit your plan to God before you started planning? 
Because here's what often happens. Here's what we'll do. We'll write a bunch of stuff. The Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Then be like, here, Lord, bless it. Instead of saying, God, before I start planning, let me commit my planning process to you. So, so watch this. If you didn't commit your plan to God before you started planning, I got news for you. Message, your plan is plagued. Proverbs 16.3 says this. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So first I commit my plans before I start planning. So when I start thinking, he'll establish my thoughts about my plan. I'm going to say it again. So leave the scripture up there. It says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Here's the issue. Many times in our planning processes for life, we, we just kind of think random thoughts. So we'll think this, we'll think this. is a picture pop up in our mind. We'll think this, we'll think that. But when I commit my plans to the Lord before I start planning them, the scripture says he's going to establish what I think about my plans. Got it? Because you may have your plan, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But God may say, I'm not really interested in that. Come here, Elisha. I'm not really interested in you being an ox herder. I'm interested in you succeeding, Elijah. It's real quiet right here. You may have your plan, but God may have his plan. And so before you start working on your plan, you need to say, God, let me give you the, all the plans before I start planning anything. Did you see that? He said he'll establish your thoughts. Does that make sense? In other words, he's going to tell you what to think about so you'll know what to plan. It's quiet in here. We spend a lot of time wasted doing stuff that we think is good, but it has nothing to do with God. Okay, Psalm 37.5. Listen to this. Psalm 37.5. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also at him, and he shall bring it to pass. Watch it. Leave it up. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. Well, now, but wait a minute. He only brings to pass what I committed to him. Which means, watch this. What I try to do independent of my commitment to him, he will not get involved with. Okay, it's real quiet in here. Which means if there's stuff that, that you're like, man, this is so hard. This is so rough. Why ain't God helping? Why ain't God helping? I just want you to ask yourself a question. Who did you actually commit this to? Watch, commit your way to the Lord, which means when you got that opportunity, did you say, Father, I commit this opportunity in your hands. Give me the grace. Give me the wisdom. Give me the strength to be able to walk it out and succeed. Or did you just show up and say, well, do you know, I'm going to figure this out. Tell your neighbor, say, commit your way. That means your plan. Commit your plan to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll bring it to pass. One of the things I do, one of the things I do, I encourage you to do, one of the things I do before any meeting. One things I do before any discussion is I always say, Father, I commit this time and I commit this discussion into your hands. That way I can rest assured that whatever is discussed, it is the will and desire of the Lord because I committed the whole thing to him. Did you get that? Okay, we're, we're talking about being strategic. I know y'all want to shout. We'll shout you in a minute. But I need you to get strategic first so you can start winning. So when you shout, you'll be shouting about something you won. Does it make sense? All right, all right. So the first thing we got to check to make sure our plan isn't plagued is what? Did we commit the plan to God before planning? Not after you wrote your plan out and got happy. Because let me tell you what sometimes happens to folk. Okay, I'm, let, me, let, me mess, let me mess with some single and married folk. You, you, you don't ask God if, if you should continue with them after you decided that you want to call yourself being in love with them. Uh-huh, see, y'all didn't have nothing to say right there. 
What most folk do is, well, since I love them, I just want to see what the Lord wants. Listen, love, please let me, let me help you understand something. Love is a decision, not an emotion. Love is a decision that produces emotions. Okay, because love that is a feeling is a love that will change. Because you know what? Sometimes I feel hot. <laughs> Sometimes I feel cold. Sometimes I feel like Chinese food. Sometimes I feel like Mexican food. Sometimes I want a steak. And sometimes I want a salmon salad with a, a roasted pecans and some blue cheese. But what you're trying to say. So, so watch this. Here's, here's what many times what we do is we decide and then we're like, then we try to make God go along with our decision. So now we're looking for signs to validate what we never asked about in the first place. So then something happens, you're like, see, this is the Lord's will. Because, because the sun came out? This July, baby, the sun is going to come out. So my question is, is when you, when you started, da- and I'm just using this example, when you started dating them, d- did you say, Lord, I commit this into your hands beforehand? So that way, I'm not even, listen, all that emotion and love, all that's nice. But this here is the biggest decision of my life. So I need to know this is you before I get attached. Because once I get attached, I'm going to start filtering you through the lenses of my attachment versus hearing what you have to say. So when you tell me to kick them to the curb, I'm going to try to justify why I keep them in the car. Because I'm attached. Oh, y'all don't like this. So did you commit your purchase of the car to Jesus before you bought it? Because now you're attached and you didn't show it to folk now. You didn't took it over your relative's house. You didn't put it on Twitter. You got it on Facebook. You're on Instagram taking a selfie. Look at the new ride the Lord blessed me with. And then the bank called and saying, mm-mm. Well, but did you commit it to him before you even sat down at the table to do the paperwork? Because now that you're attached, now you're going to try to fight to keep something that he maybe never had as part of the plan in the first place. Because you went to buy one. What if he wanted to have somebody just give you one? Y'all not going to say nothing to me. You went to purchase it. What if God just said, I just want the dealer to turn his heart toward you, but you didn't ask me what I wanted before you did it. Y'all getting this? All right, okay. Let me not break a sweat yet. Two scenarios where, where, where your plans don't pan out. The first is what? Plan was plagued. And, and what's the first thing we got to check to determine if the plan is plagued? Did we commit it before we started planning? Not after you get an emotional attachment. Because your emotions will fool you, trick you, lie to you, and tell you all kind of stuff. Your emotions will keep you messed up, jacked up, tied up, tangled up in the name of this is God. And God is saying, I have nothing to do with it. That's you. And you're filtering it to make it me. Come here, Abraham. I didn't tell you to go uh, enter into your, that uh, uh, Sarai's uh, handmaiden so that now you got with her and now you got Ishmael. I don't want no Ishmael. I want an Isaac. But because you got attached. All right, second thing we got to check to determine whether or not the plan is plagued. Did we prepare or did we just hope and wish? Did we prepare or did we hope and wish? Did we prepare or did we hope and wish? <laughs> Watch this. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Heart 
uh, uh, Proverbs 16 and 9, says a man's heart, Hebrew there, heart is the word lev, which means mind, which means your mind, put the scripture up, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, after I've committed my plan, then God will then allow me to go through the process mentally, cognitively of laying out plans. But watch this. The scripture says, but the Lord's going to direct those steps. So watch this. If I didn't give it to him first, then that means my heart's going to plan my way and my heart will plan my steps. Easy to get this. If I didn't get, leave the scripture up. If I didn't give it to him first before I started planning, then that means my mind is going to plan my way. And that means my mind is going to direct my steps. Here's the problem is that when you direct your steps, you are also responsible for all of the provision necessary. God's will, God's bill. Your will, your bill. Now, I don't know about you. Let, let's just be honest because some of you might be thinking Lord, that you might be thinking about some plans recently. You might go, oh, my God, Lord, I just messed this up. Okay, but well, let's fix that. I don't need you getting depressed and discouraged. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to give you hope. Touch your neighbor say hope. All right, so let's go on and let's go on and figure this out. Any of us in here ever, you 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 had you a plan and you had you some steps to only discover God wasn't paying for nothing. All right, so look at your neighbor and say, say, we both did it. So don't feel bad. We both drank that same Kool-Aid. We didn't both made those same mistakes. That's why there's goodness and that's why there's mercy following you. Do you know why they follow you? To clean up behind you. The scripture says, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Why are they following me? Because when I turn around, I may have made some mistakes and some missteps. But Jesus says, let me come behind you and clean that up. He's a clean. I said he's a clean up man. All right. All right. All right. So, 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 but did we prepare? Did you actually prepare based on your plan or you thought you're just going to show up? Okay. Did you actually prepare? So you said you wanted to be debt free. Did you actually prepare for that? Or did you keep accepting every credit card offer that came in the mail? It's quiet in here. You said you didn't want to get in the same type of relationship with the same kind of person. So the Lord tested that and sent the same person with a different body, but the same spirit. But you didn't recognize it because you're so tired of being alone. I'm preaching. They ain't saying nothing today. That's all right. I got time. I ain't getting on the plane today. <laughs> I got time. Okay. Did we prepare? Did you prepare to succeed? Or did you just show up to the test and say, Lord, just let me remember everything I need to remember in this test. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Oh, glory, glory, glory. Mr. Bishop, Mr. Bishop. Okay. That ain't, that, listen, that, that's being lazy. We, I'm going to say out to you in a minute. I just, did you prepare? Okay. Did you prepare? Let me just give you something real practical. Did you prepare? Is your Monday prepared for it to be successful? Because you know Monday's coming. Today is Sunday. Monday's coming. It ain't like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The day came. Isn't that what you were expecting? Okay. So did you prepare today for tomorrow to be successful? Or are you going to go home on uh, five uh, breaths of gas? You know, them five breaths of gas. It's just, you got fumes. It's a breath. It's a, you got fumes. And so he's like, I'll get it in the morning. I'll get it in the morning. Okay, when you drove past four gas stations to get home. Not three, four. Not four, four. 
Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Did you, did you lay your clothes out tonight or are you just going to see what the Lord wants to do in the morning? The Lord don't care. Just as long as you don't misrepresent him. All right. Or are you just going to wake up in the morning? I'm ironing in the morning. Yo, I didn't know it takes you 45 minutes to iron a shirt right. Because you mess up the first crease and then you got to go starch it out and then fix the set. I got a witness. I'm just being real practical because we got to be what? Strategic. All right. So did we plan or did we just hope and wish? God doesn't operate in hoping and wishing. Now, bitch, what about faith? Faith is substance thing hopes for. Right. When I'm using the term hope here, I'm using it in the sense that there was no preparation given to succeed at all. So once I've committed my plans to the Lord, then I begin the planning process. Then the scripture said the Lord will direct my steps. But did I actually take time to prepare to succeed or did I just hope and wish that it would be successful? Does that make sense? A business is not just going to be successful because you got some cards and got a nice uh, uh, button up. Did you actually take time to succeed and prepare? It's real quiet in here. A family's not just going to succeed just because y'all love each other. Love don't pay for nothing. A relationship's not going to succeed just because, you know, we both love God. And? That's nice. Okay, but if, if you're unequally yoked, Yoked, yoke, watch it, because a lot of people, unbeliever, believer, that's one level of yoke. But yoke, I've taught you this a million times, yoke literally was the thing that connected two oxen together. So a yoke, watch this, in the Hebrew, and, and for rabbis, a yoke was one's approach to life. A yoke was what they taught. That's why uh, uh, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, my yoke is easy. What did he mean? He said, my approach to life is easy. My teaching is easy. Got it? So you can be unequally yoked because one person believes in, in caring and compassion and the other person believes in nothing like that. So now you got two different approaches to life. Okay, so but what did you do to prepare for that? Is everybody here? Okay, all right. C. C on my, on my notes is your number three. Okay. All right, we're talking about how to check if the plan was played. What's the first thing you do? You just commit your plans to the Lord. The second thing? You prepare, just hope and wish. Here's the third thing. What counsel did you seek? Counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. What counsel did you seek? Here's the parenthetic insertation here. Or did you just decide that all of a sudden your decision-making skills dramatically improved? Okay, as a pastor, you know, nothing really surprises or shocks me these days. All right, it's just, just the reality. No, nothing, you say, you know, so this, oh, really? Oh, okay, well, that's Tuesday. You know, no, nothing really shocks and surprises me because one of the things that we, that we sometimes do in life is that we don't consider the realistic nature of our innate ability. But, but what do you mean by that? Is that if your life shows you you make poor relationship decisions, don't all of a sudden think because you shouted hallelujah that your decision making got good about relationships. Got it? Ain't no bad decision spirit we can cast out of you. Now, there are things that lead up to the reason bad decisions are making, but there's no, okay, it's real quiet in here. I mean, it's uh, the Roman, where the uh, altar folk coming in? Ooh. All right? If you know you make bad financial decisions, how 
all of a sudden, you no, I ain't got to ask nobody about this. I got this one. How? Would you go tell TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian that your decisions improve? Okay, somebody said, let's be strategic. <laughs> let's be strategic. Okay, so, so oftentimes, you got to ask yourself, well, what counsel did I seek, or did I just decide that all of a sudden I'm good at making these kinds of decisions? It's not weakness to admit that you sometimes have blind spots in certain decision making. That's not weakness. Consider this, the President of the United States, most powerful man in the world, has teams of advisors to tell him what he can't see. Every CEO of every major corporation, every major organization in the world has a team of a board of directors who are there, not in the everyday flow, but they are there to help advise him so they can, he can, they can tell him what he's missing. So consider this, if powerful people know they don't make great decisions all the time, you have to also consider that maybe you don't always make great decisions all the time. There were men of God in the scripture that didn't make great decisions all the time. Samson was a mighty man of valor. Our internet campus is now live. Would you welcome all of them watching? The we apologize for the technical difficulty. I rest assured whoever caused the difficulty technically is going to be handled. Amen. Whatever computer, we got to cast the devil out. I, the devil's going to be cast out of it. I'm going to go drop the computer in oil. Then break it. <laughs> now, now watch this. Now watch this. Watch this. If even very powerful people realize they need counsel and they are not ashamed to admit they need counsel, why is it that your neighbor thinks they don't need counsel? Okay? Check the history of your decisions. If more than 51% of those decisions haven't been great, don't sit there and just say, but I believe this one's going to be different. You know what's going to make it different? Getting some counsel. Okay. Now, I know y'all don't like this because this is the generation of independent women. Throw your hands up at me. This is the generation of, of bosses. Men don't need nobody to tell nobody because he put his pants on the same way I do. But he don't make stupid decisions like that, though. So let me give you some scripture. Let me give you some scripture. Let me give you some scripture. Proverbs 24, 6. I can see we ain't going to shout until the B part of this message. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counsels, they're safe to leave the scripture up. I want to exegete it. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. Notice, it was a battle that you had to fight, but you needed counsel in order to fight it. Got it? You, you ever seen, uh, leave the scripture up, you ever seen uh, situations where people, they'll say, you know, you can get an attorney or you can defend yourself, and somebody decide they're going to defend themselves to utterly mess up the case and destroy the case because they thought they knew something because they read two law books one day? So look, for by wise counsel, you'll wage your own war. Watch this. And in a multitude of counsels, there's safety. Now, this scripture on the surface level makes you think, I need to ask everybody what they think. Wrong. You do not seek counsel from people who do not have proven results. See, don't be asking your broke family members how, they, how you need to get your finances together. Let them figure that out first, and then you can, we can go talk about this. It's quiet in here. Multitude here means, it doesn't mean many, it means excellent. In the Hebrew. So, in excellent counsel, there is safety. Not a bunch of them, but an excellent counsel. Amen. 
Does this make sense? Somebody say, excellent counsel. All right, okay, so let me make it real practical for you. That's why God gives you a pastor. Bishop, why? Before church, you should pray that the Lord would answer every question that you've got through the message. And then when you come in here to receive the word, you're going to pull on an anointing. You're going to pull on a grace. Bishop, give me, give me an example. I'm glad you asked me for one. There was a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. 12 is the number of establishment, which meant her lifestyle was established to have issues. Her life was about having issues, and she had issues of blood. And blood means she had life issues. She had life problems. She was depressed. She was oppressed. She was suppressed. She had every kind of oppression that she could have. And one day she decided, let me press my way to Jesus. Now, check this out. She gets on her knees like a dog, and she presses her way through the crowd, and she touches the hem of his garment. As a Hebrew, it would have been the zit of his garment. And do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, who touched me? In other words, her touch shocked him. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying? Which means because she came with expectancy, she pulled something out of him he didn't intend to give. Bishop, what are you trying to say? When you show up to harvest with an expectancy that I'm going to get my answers, with an expectancy that I'm going to hear from God, you'll pull on something that wasn't intended to be given. Jesus looks around and says, who touched me? They said, Master, listen, a bunch of people are touching you. Everybody's thronging at you. What do you mean, who touched you? What do you mean he touched you? He said, no, somebody touched me. He said, because I perceive some power left me. This is why sometimes when I'm ministering, you'll hear me say things like somebody's pulling on me. That's where I'm getting this from. Somebody is touching me in the spirit and pulling on an anointing, which is causing me to go a direction I hadn't planned on. Did you get this? Touch your neighbor and say, show up. With expectancy. You ought to have your list of questions before you get here. Not that I just want to show up and have a high time in the Lord and see what the Lord is going to do. And that's why all you have is high time. So you know what? You get high and then you leave and then you're a junkie. And so you need a high after high after high after high after high because you didn't get any answers. Touch your name and say, I came expecting today. So did. I came expecting to figure out what to do next. I came expecting some answers on how to walk out what God has ordained for my life. Where are the bounce back people up in this place that say, I came to figure out how I'm getting ready to bounce back from. All right, here it is, D. D, y'all ready? We're talking about the two primary scenarios where plans don't pan out. And this first scenario is the plan was playing. We've discussed that we need to commit our plans to the Lord before we start planning. Then we discussed the, uh, the importance of preparation versus just hoping and wishing. Then we discussed, what was the, the third one, C, what was that? What counsel did you seek or did you just all of a sudden decide that now you know how to make great decisions? And, and pride is really what makes you think that. I don't need to ask nobody nothing, I'm grown. Well, how's all that been working out for you? Tell your $150,000 worth of debt that you've grown. Uh, it got quiet right there. Now, I know that's kind of rough, but I just need to give it to you rough because, see, I got to break that rebellious thing. That's like, I don't need nobody to tell me nothing. All right, good. How's that working out? Just tell me how you like what you got. If you like it, hey, I love it. Does that make sense? Okay. As, even as a man of God, I have men of God that I seek their counsel. Our board of directors is full of men of God that uh, I seek their counsel. And we come together, we pray, and we say, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? What? We need to look at this. We need to look at this. We need to look at that. 
Got it? Because I realize there may be sections or there may be things that my peripheral doesn't catch. So I need somebody sitting over here that can catch what I can't. Does this make sense? All right, very good. All right, here, here's D, and, 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 and here's a big one. If your plan didn't pan out, I need to tell you, maybe the plan wasn't doomed. Maybe you needed to check the people in the plan. Uh-huh. What's D, Bishop? Check the people in the plan. Specifically, check your plan for LMAs. Lots, Miriams, and Akins. I'm going to teach you that I'm going to shout you. Sometimes, Harvest, your plan was good. But the people in the plan can stop, block, and slow down your plan. I told you to check for what? LMAs. Now, I'm going to give you some very irrefutable scriptural evidence to help you. Now, watch this. This is going to be very good, uh, but, but what I need us to catch today, touch your neighbor and say, you must catch this, must is I need you to receive this, and I need, watch this, as, as we begin going through this, there are going to be people that flash in front of your face as I begin to explain what an L and M, an L and, M and an A is. And when that happens, you will have now just been given revelation and discernment of the spirit that was at operation that maybe caused your plan to not pan out. Because here's what we think sometimes. Well, since I'm doing this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this, the plan's good. The scripture doesn't suggest it to be so. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, so now, now, now touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, this is going to be very good for us. So let's, let's start with lots. Check your plan for LMAs. Now, this is important. This is very important. Okay, we're going to walk through it, and then I'm going to shout you. Okay? Y'all all right? Y'all learning? Okay, good. All right. So lots name, I'm going to just give you the meaning. I've given it to you a million times before. In Hebrew, means hidden motive. There are some plans that you began to operate in your life with, but you did it around people that had hidden motives. Their agenda was not to help you. Their agenda was to get a ride to the top with you. It's quiet in him. Are you hearing me? All right. Lots. Lots. Hidden motives. Now, can I give you the second part? Hidden motives always cause strife. What is strife? Fighting amongst people that should be working together. Okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. It's going to be good. If you don't shout, I'm shouting. <laughs> All right, lots. When a person has a hidden motive, you will wonder why there's so much tension, why there's so much contention, why there's so much fighting, why there's so much disagreement. It's because y'all aren't headed the same place. And they're trying, their motives are pulling them this way, and your motive is pulling you this way, and you're wondering why in the heaven is there all this trouble? It's because we ain't going in the same place. We just on the same boat. We ain't headed to the same destination. We just the same folk in the same car. But the problem is we fighting the whole time while we driving. 
Okay, now, can I give you some background here? In Genesis, uh, Genesis 12, the Lord speaks to Abraham for a second time. And the Lord says to him, he says, Abram, listen, I want you to get out of your father. I've talked to you a million times. I want you to get out of your father's country. I want you to get away from your bloodline because they're crazy. They're dysfunctional. I need you to get away from that spirit because it's not even just them physically. It's the spirit. So when you see that house, you're reminded of that spirit. When you drive down that street, you're reminded of that spirit. So watch this, because Abram's father was dead. So he said, get out of your father's house. Well, what was the significance of him telling him to get out of his father's house? His father was dead. Because there was a spirit that was attached to the place. Oh, my God, I'm going to help somebody here. There are spirits that reside and take residence in certain places. And this is the reason why there are certain places that don't produce certain things for you, because there are certain spirits that have taken residence in those places. So watch this. He said, Abram, I need you to get away from this place called Haran, which is where they were, which means parched place. And I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. The reason I need you to get away from this place is because that familiar spirit that got your daddy lives in this place. And so that same spirit that got your daddy lives in this place. And so, Abram, if you stay in this place, the same spirit that got your daddy knows how to get you because he knows you better than you know yourself. So he knows what to throw at you. He knows what to say. He knows who to send. He knows how to discourage you. He knows. So I got to get you up out of here because they took terror down and I wanted him to do it, but he refused. So I chose you. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. That's why some of y'all, you dread things when you got to have family gatherings and stuff like that. It's because your spirit is trying to tell you there is something familiar about those people. And when you get around those people, it's not that you don't love them. It's just that there's something that resides on them that's trying to pull you down. And Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. So Lot, so Abram rather, is told he needs to bounce back <laughs> he needs to come out of his father's country and he needs to go to a land the Lord's going to show him now here's the issue he has a nephew named Lot and the Lord said get away from your family put up verse 12 and 1 chapter 12 and 1 y'all read it so that you can't say bishop said this read the whole verse one two ready read everybody okay stop so now does a nephew qualify as family? Yes. So guess what Abraham decided to do? That's my blood. That's my family. Blood is thicker than water. That ain't scripture. And let me be clear. When I'm saying these things, I'm not saying be anti-family, be anti-relative. Quite the contrary. I'm very pro-family. But here, I need you to hear what I'm saying. I also discover this, that culturally, many people don't succeed because they allow family to talk them out of it. So it'd be irresponsible of me to not teach you truthfully just to cloak it under something of happy-go-lucky. So he says, get away from family. Does Lot qualify as family? So guess what Abram did? Abram decided he had a bright idea and he was going to tell God God was wrong. So you know what he did? He says, come on, Lot, let's go. Lot wasn't supposed to go. So now when you get to Genesis 13, the scripture says that Abram is prospering, but Lot's also prospering. And check it out. And Lot goes with him, but Lot and Abram begin to have strife. 
And now they begin to fight over stuff that Lot would have never had had Abram never took him. But now they're fighting over stuff that he got because Abram let him ride the elevator up, but he didn't make him pay a fare. And you got to watch out for people who want to ride the elevator up with you, but don't want to pay the fare with you. If you can't struggle with me, you can't reign with me. If you can't cry with me, you can't reign with me. If you can't go through the valley with me, get the hell off my mountain. Hell means, means Gehenna, hot trash. Get that hot trash off of my mountain. It's one of the Greek words for hell. Gehenna, Tartarus, Hades, and Hebrew Sheol, death. Touch, touch your neighbor and say, if you can't pay the fare, it's not fair. Folks just want to come up with you but then not have to struggle with you. They want to eat with you at the steakhouse, but you couldn't find them when you was making Roman noodles. Y'all ain't going to say nothing to me? So Lot comes with, I'm almost through. Lot comes with Abram, and they start fighting, and they start having strife. And you know what eventually happens? It gets so bad, their servants are fighting with one another. And check out what happens. In Genesis 13, the Lord stops speaking to Abraham until Lot is gone. Abraham says, listen, this isn't good that we fight like this, man. He said, you need to go. Just, just go. You go on over there. I'll take this land. You go on over there. I'll take that. Then all of a sudden, the heavens open back up and the Lord starts speaking again. Bishop, what are you trying to say? There's some stuff you're like, God, where you at? God, where you at? God says, I'm not talking with them there. And the reason I'm not talking is because you don't know what you got. You don't know what you're dealing with. I know, Abraham, if I tell you, you're going to tell Lot. So I'm not telling you so I can keep you from telling that hidden motive. Because everybody that shouts with you don't want to see you do well. I, I wish I could report something different to you. But everybody that says, thank you, Jesus, don't want to see you do well. Everybody that says, I'm excited for you, really, is hating on you in secret. you got to be... Touch your name and say, watch out for hidden motives. So hidden motives cause strife. It happens in teams, happens in families, happens in relationships. When there's hidden motives, there's fighting. That's why there's fighting, because there's, there's different motives. We ain't trying to accomplish the same thing. You're trying to do your thing, and I'm trying to do this here. That's why there's fighting. We're trying to glorify God, and you sitting here trying to, try, try, trying to glorify yourself. That's why there's fighting. Y'all ain't going to say nothing? I know I'm out of time. I still got two more people to talk about, so I'll be done when I'm done. <laughs> Check your plan for lots, hidden motives. And you can identify a lot by saying, where is there strife? And when you identify the strife, say, now, who started the strife? And then you found your lot. And God doesn't speak when lots are present. Now, somebody said, Bishop, what does that mean? Should, should, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you about that in the next experience. Now, I told you to check for who? L-M-A. So, the second one is Miriam. Check your plan for Miriams. Did you have Miriams in your plans? You know what Miriam means? Miriam means rebellious, bitter, and strong water that won't be tamed. In the scriptures, I'm going to give it to you again, note takers. Rebellious, bitter, strong water that won't be tamed. Now, in the scriptures, in, in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam was a sister to Moses. 
And uh, Miriam uh, helped to even nurse him at some point. And Miriam, see, the scripture calls her a prophetess. She, she was a singer. She was a minstrel. She did many different things. And uh, Miriam and Aaron decided to have a conversation one day at the beginning of Numbers 12 because Moses had made a decision. Now, Moses is the leader. Moses is in charge. Miriam made, uh, and they didn't like his decision, rather. So Moses decided to marry an Ethiopian or Cushite woman. And they were like, we don't really agree with that decision. He, he really don't need to be doing that. The problem is, is while they may have thought they knew better, they didn't. They didn't because if they knew better, he would have made them the leader. He didn't make them the leader because God says, you don't know what you're doing, so I trust Moses over you. Okay, it's real simple to figure out what God thinks to see who he put at the top. Now, at, at the end of the day, they're like, uh, here it is, uh, Numbers 12, 2. They're like, y'all still with me, Harvest? Are we just learning? Is the hints are, are, okay, very good. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? So now the same voice that got them out of Egypt, they're questioning. The same man that prayed them through their hell, they're questioning. The same man that got them up out of their valley, up out of their mess, they're questioning. And they said, has the Lord not only spoken through us too? The Lord can speak to us too. I ain't got to hear no just through no Moses. And look what the scripture says. And the Lord heard it. The scripture goes on. It talks about the Lord steps out to the tabernacle of meeting. He shows up physically uh, as the pillar of cloud, which means God himself came. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a spirit. He didn't send a still, small voice. God stepped out of the third heaven himself and came down the earth and said, now listen, come here, you three. Check it out. Two of them were talking, but God told on them. The Holy Ghost will always let you know what's going on. Okay, all right. All right, I'll leave that alone. Uh, two of them, Miriam and Aaron, were talking, but the Lord called the three down. And he said, listen, um, if there's a prophet among you, I'll talk to him in a dream. He said, but not so with my servant Moses. I talked to him face to face, mouth to mouth. He said, so I want to know why you didn't think to, to, to open your mouth and say something about him. And you know what? They didn't really have too much to say. And you know what the Lord does? He gets mad and he leaves. But when he leaves, he leaves Miriam as a leper. But here's the point I need you to see. Miriam thought she could do that because she was rebellious. She was bitter. And she was strong water that would not be tamed. Bishop, Bishop, Bishop make this real practical for me because I'm trying to figure out what you're talking about. Who is Miriam? Who is Miriam? I don't know no Miriams. Okay, I'm talking about a spirit and a mindset. Watch this. Miriam, slow down your plan because you spend all of your time trying to tame the strong water rather than it just flowing with you. So watch what Miriam did. Now Moses didn't do nothing, but he is the leader. But look at Numbers 12 and 15. Put the scripture up, verse, uh, verse 15. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days. Everybody read it with me, the next part. And the people. Wait a minute. Moses didn't do anything, but Miriam did. So Miriam stopped the whole flow for seven days and nobody could go anywhere until she got unbitter. Until she got unrebellious. I'm making up the word. I know. Until she decided to stop being strong water and just be tamed. I'm here to tell you that some of you got a bunch of complainers around you that always question everything and always got issues. And you spend all of your time sitting up here trying to tame them rather than say, saying, since you won't be tamed, you got to go because you have sold down my camp for two. 
ain't have no meeting with you about doing what I told you to do. Oh, it's quiet in here. That's okay. I that's okay. That's okay. Rock by, baby. That's okay. You got folk in your life that don't do nothing but sit up and complain. Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? And you spend all of your time trying to tame them. They don't want to be tamed. You got, let me prove it to you. You got coworkers that sit up and question every single policy, every single bit. Why we got to do this? Why we got to do this? And you know what? You, when you see them coming, you're like, oh, God, here they come. God. You know why? Because there's a strong flow in them, and it's called Miriam, and they slow plans down. And if you got somebody, part of your plans, that's a Miriam, you better learn how to tell them you either get in gear or you get the heck out of here because you are slowing us down. She's a complainer. She sits up and she's strong water. Why'd you do that? Huh? Now you heard me. You fix your face before I do what your mama should have did to you. Before I do what your daddy should have did to you. You call them your friends, but they're Miriam's. You got employees. Let me help you, leaders. If you got an employee that's a Miriam, you give them one warning, and if they don't kick with it, you fire them. You don't negotiate with them. You don't talk it through it. No, you're a Miriam, so strong water got to go. You either get with my flow or you got to go. All right, since y'all ain't saying amen, I'm going to go on and hit your house there. If your kids won't get with your flow, Ain't no more iPads, ain't no more this, ain't no more that, ain't no more this. You will get with the flow of this house, and you will submit to it, and you will like it, and you will love it. Yes, you're going to church. You stay up in here. You so is going. I don't feel like it. Well, go fill you a job and fill you a car, and you can fill your own bills. But if you up in here, there will not be a Miriam because she slows the camp down. Okay. Y'all ain't saying nothing. If you're married to a Miriam. You want, you want to know this is on BBC? I'm, I just got one more person to talk about. You want to know this is so important? You want to know this is important? Because Moses didn't do anything. But he had to pay a price of being delayed. Because of what she did. The whole camp, four million people couldn't move forward because of her. Ain't that something? The Lord said, nobody, ain't nobody going nowhere because of her. Which means, watch this, it's not just about leadership. It's about ensuring fellowship. Sometimes people look at things and say, well, maybe the leader's wrong, maybe the leader's wrong. But check the Miriams in the fellowship, though. Okay. That's cool. I know it's good. I know it's good. I know it's good. <laughs> it's all good. Here's the third one. This is my favorite. I told you to check for L's, M's, and A's. The last one you got to check your plan for is Aiken. Everybody say Aiken. Aiken's name, I'm going to just give you the definition, then we're going to walk it through. Now, this is going to shout you. This is going to really shout you because you're going to recognize it and realize it. And once you recognize it and realize it, just say, thank you, Jesus. 
See, it's not the person that's bad. It's the spirit operating in a person. Does that make sense? Okay. It's not not people. It's not the person. It's It's the mindset. Spirit in a person just means the mindset of a person. Okay. And in the scripture, we've now found two people's plans that didn't work because they had a lot in the Miriam. Moses' camp was slowed down. God wouldn't speak to Abram until Lot was gone. Does this make sense? Which means it's like the heavens were open, but just not for him. You ever seen them cartoons where it's like raining on somebody over here, and then over here is on Sunny? Okay, that's what's happening. Now, now watch this Achan one. Achan's name in Hebrew means trouble. Trouble. Okay, trouble here has a, a more defined meaning. Let me give it to you. Deliberately disobedient. Mm-hmm. Do they like this kind of preaching in Denver? <laughs> of course, the Aikens don't, but. <laughs> okay, watch this. Bishop, what's an Aiken? Now, remember, we're talking about your plans. Because most of our plans, don't they often involve other people? You got this plan for your family, this plan for your relationship, this plan for your job, this plan for this. It involves other people. Got it? Okay. So, 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 so the, the, the Lord uh, uh, showed me these three things, and he said, son, these are very powerful. I need you to get these. Aikens do what they want, when they want, how they want, because they decided they want to. That's what Aiken does. Okay? And Aiken is deliberately disobedient. Okay? Y'all, y'all seen Lion King? Y'all remember when uh, uh, Mufasa told Simba, stay up here, son. I'm going to go deal with these wildebeest. And then what did Simba do? He followed him. Now, watch this, because here's the point I want you to see from this analogy. In Simba's heart, he was helping his daddy. But he had to disobey in order to help. Which means the moment I have to step into disobedience, it means that I got to stop it. Because watch this. The scripture says, the scripture says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Death there means hell, ruin, failure, plague. So you may think I'm helping, but you disobeyed in order to help, which means you're not helping. So Mufasa says, Simba, stay up here. I got to go handle some business. I'll be right back. I'm going down here. Simba comes down. Check this out. Mufasa sees Simba getting ready to be trampled over by the wildebeest because Simba was somewhere he never should have been. So now Mufasa has to alter his plan. Come on, be a good church. He has to change it. He had the wildebeest down. He's the king of the jungle. He knows how to do this. He knows how to win. He knows how to succeed. But he has to change his plan because Simba's over there when he should have been over there. And so now Mufasa ends up dead because his plans didn't pan out because he had an aching. Touch your neighbor and say, stay with Bishop. But in Simba's heart, he was being helpful. But to God's order, he was wrong. Now, y'all ready for this? Let me tell you what happened with Aiken. I'm just talking this through. Y'all okay? Okay, all right, watch this. All right, let me get you out of here for the next, next experience show. All right, watch this. Aiken, everybody say Aiken. 
In Joshua chapter 7, Joshua, the militaristic leader, had just taken Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. You remember the battle of Jericho? They walked around for six days and on the seventh day they walked around seven times and they walked around and then they shouted and then when they shouted the walls came down. And so they just experienced this great victory. I mean, it was exciting. Everybody was excited. And now they were getting ready to go take this small little city called AI. AI was nothing. I mean, AI was some little uh, dust bucket of a town. I mean, it literally, you drive uh, 20 miles an hour, you in 15 seconds, you've been going through the whole city. It was a little bit of a nothing. And they should have been able to easily take this city. Joshua was ready to expand his territory to a city called Ai, and it should have been an easy conquest, so easy that they, the spies told Joshua, don't even send all the army. He said, you're going to waste the army's time. He said, just reduce the size of the army and send just a little bit because this should be an easy victory. There's some stuff that you planned in your life that you said, this should have been easy. This should have been a cakewalk. This should have been a day in the park. I'm not talking to anybody. This should have been easy. But watch this. But something happened. Tell your neighbor, say something happened. So watch this. Can I teach you further? Ai was the royal city of the Canaanites. So that means it was in the promised land, which means them taking Ai was significant of you seizing a great promise in your life. It should have been an easy win, but something happened. Somebody say something happened. The men of Ai struck down 36 of the Hebrew army and the other 2,964 men of the Hebrew army. The Bible says that their hearts melted. In other words, they saw the little few men of Ai take out 36 of their great warriors. And all of a sudden, they're thinking to themselves, well, we're not going to be able to win. We're not going to be able to take this. But this should have been a what? It should have been an easy win. But something happened. Touch your neighbor say something happened. Something happened, y'all, that had nothing to do with Joshua. It had nothing to do with Joshua's battle plans, but the deliberate disobedience of one of Joshua's soldiers. I'm going to preach uh, the word of God in here. Joshua asked the Lord, he says, Lord, why did you let this happen to us? Why, why did you allow us to lose this battle? This should have been easy. In fact, he says, Lord, what are the people going to say about you? You let us take this great city of Jericho, and now we lost this little battle of AI. The Bible says Joshua gets so mad, he starts ripping his clothes. Touch your neighbors, he's mad. Oh, no, you know you real mad when you don't even care about the outfit you just put on. Y'all not saying nothing. You know you real mad when you just cleaned up your house and now you pushing stuff off the counter. You know you real mad. Y'all ain't going to say nothing to me. You know you real mad when you just wash your car. You don't care that you out in the rain driving because you just so mad. You got, am I not talking to anybody here? Touch your neighbor and say he was real mad. But look, he was on his face. He fell to his face praying. And he said, God, why would you let this happen? Why would you not let us succeed at what should have been easy? And you know what God's response was? God's response was, get up off of your face. He said, Joshua, I need to tell you that what you thought you had, you didn't. Joshua, I need to tell you that what you thought that was working for you was really working against you. Who you thought was really fighting for you was really fighting that y'all ain't gonna say nothing to me against you. Somebody in your army blatantly disobeyed me, and for this reason, your plan didn't pan out. I'm gonna slow it down so you get it. Joshua said, or the Lord said to Joshua, get up off of your face. He said, there's sin in the camp. He said, somebody deliberately decided to not do what I said. You didn't do it, Joshua. They did. But I'm teaching you a lesson. Check your plans for LMAs. The lesson is deliberate disobedience will always cause your plans to not succeed. Okay, it's real quiet in here. So they went tribe by tribe. Joshua gets mad now. He gets up. He's like, wait a minute, we lost? It wasn't our plan. It wasn't us. It wasn't me. It wasn't my advice. No, we lost because somebody in here 
because some soldier that was supposed to be fighting with us decided to deliberately disobey. That's why we lost. And the Lord's like, pretty much. So you know what they do, y'all? I'm getting ready to close. You know what they do? They went tent by tent. And they said, we're going to find out who didn't obey. Oh, God. <laughs> Sometimes God will allow situations to happen in your life so you can evaluate what you wouldn't look at before. Sometimes your plans don't succeed and don't plan out because God says, I need you to take a look at what you wouldn't look at before. I need you to look at what you've been ignoring all this time. I need you to pay some attention. Y'all ain't going to say nothing to me. So they go tent by tent. And for the Hebrews, the way they heard the voice of the Lord is they would cast lots. So they cast lots. They go house by tent by tent by tent by tent by tent. And they're like, did you do it? No. Did you do it? No. Did you do it? So they finally get to Achan's tent. And when they get to Achan's tent, Joshua's like, I already know. It's written all over your face. Because Watch this. Because you won't even come over here by me. You don't even look at me in the face. I said, good morning up here, not over here. See, y'all ain't going to say nothing to me. So Joshua says to him, he says, Achan, what did you do? Please tell me now. He's like, you're right. Look, look what he says. He says, my son. Joshua got real emotional with him. So this tells us that Achan was one of Joshua's commanders. This wasn't no regular soldier. This was a lieutenant. He said, my son, I beg you, give glory to God. And tell him what you've done. Don't you hide this from me, boy. Look at verse 20. And Achan answered, Joshua said, indeed, I did it. I sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. I'm not going to tell you all what he did, but basically the next several verses go down, and he says, he says to the Lord, or he says to Joshua, when we went on that battle, you told us not to touch nothing. But I decided that I knew better. I was trying to help everybody out. So I took some stuff. After knowing you told me not to do that, I did it anyhow. Forgive me. And the scripture says he took what God said not to touch. Watch it. But because when God said not to touch it, it became holy. God said, don't touch it because it's holy to me. And if you touch it, it's holy. And if you take what's holy, I got a problem with you. Oh, God, I, I, I have more time. Next experience. I'll go, go into it further. He says, listen, don't you touch it. Achan took it. And you know what he did? He put it in his tent. And he hid it. Which means, watch this, which means, which means it suggests that perhaps somebody in the tent knew. And just decided, well, that ain't got nothing to do with me. I know they deliberately disobeyed after what we were specifically told to do. That ain't got nothing to do with me, though. I'm just minding my own business. Here's the problem. Joshua then says, I don't believe you did this. And here's the problem, Achan. You had time to repent. Because while we were going tent by tent, you had time to say, wait a minute, y'all can stop. You're wasting time. I did it. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. But I had to come to you about it. And since I had to come to you about it, now we got a problem. 
Is there anybody in here that you ever dealt with folk in your life and you gave them ample opportunity to work things out? Let's communicate. Let's talk. And then all of a sudden now you got to come to them about it. And you're like, why in the world did I have to come to you about it when I gave you all this opportunity to talk to me and you wouldn't talk to me? So you know what Joshua does? Joshua says, because of you, 36 men died. And because of you, everything connected to you will die today. Joshua said, you troubled the children of Israel. You made us lose a battle that we should have won with our eyes closed. So we're going to stone you to death. And your children and everything connected to you and your animals. And then we're going to burn you. Now, this is Joshua. See, I like Joshua. Joshua wasn't like Moses. Moses would be like, well, let's talk. Let's have a meeting. Let's have a coaching session about it. Joshua's like, kill him. And literally, the priests came out. They had a big ceremony. Everybody got their rocks. Joshua's just presiding over the, over the, you know, he had his robes on. He was giving him a preach at church. All this here. He's like, kill him. Now, get that big rock. That's rock too small. Kill him. Kill him. And Achan, that day, Achan died. And everything that was connected to Achan, because Achan decided that he was not going to listen. He was going to deliberately disobey. And his deliberate disobedience cost Joshua a battle that Joshua should have won with his eyes closed. Now, let me make this real practical for you, because I know some of y'all would think, Bishop, I thought you were going a whole other direction with this message. But I'm trying to get you somewhere. Touch your neighbor, say he's getting us somewhere. What's this? The Lord was very clear that order is important to him. And I'm trying to get you to see this. In your plans, if you commit them to the Lord, if you plan and prepare, if you make sure you get counsel, the scripture says your plans will succeed. But if there's a lot, if there's a Miriam, or if there's an Achan, your plan may fail. And you might think it was the plan. It's quiet up in here. I ain't heard y'all this quiet ever. You might think, God, I missed you. God, I failed you. God, I let you down. And the Lord might say, you didn't check for them lots who slowed them down. You didn't check for those Miriams who slowed you down. And you didn't check for those Achans. And those Achans cost you the battle. Now, now, here, now, 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 y'all, y'all still hear Harvest? Now, how many people just from, from these three descriptions, if you look at some plans in your life, you can see that you had an L, a M, or A in your plan. Now, listen, let me tell you what you do. Don't blame them. Don't do that. Touch your name say, don't do that. Don't you blame them. What you got to do now is just know what you're dealing with and deal with it accordingly. Because Miriam, they're so bitter, they'll talk you out of it. Since they couldn't do it, they don't want you to do it. And what you don't understand is, is by you even allowing Miriam access to you, the spirit of bitterness has been transferred to you. What Achan put in his tent, the Lord called it the accursed thing. Okay, now watch this. Uh, touch your neighbor and say, but it turns. And there's a bounce back. Once they got Achan out the camp. Which means sometimes people walking out of your life is not loss. Sometimes people walking out on you is not loss. 
Sometimes it is God doing what you wouldn't do. Sometimes it is God saying, I got to kick Lot out. I got to kick Miriam out. And I got to kick Achan out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you've had some people walk out of your life over the last 60 days, don't you cry about them jokers. You just shout and say, I didn't even know what you were, but the Lord did. And the Lord ensured that he got you up out of here. Because after Joshua 7, there's chapter 8. And in chapter 8, the scripture says Joshua went back to Ai. But this time, he utterly won and he utterly destroyed the city. I'm here to tell you, if you'll get the LMAs out of your plans, that God will cause your plans to succeed when somebody shout for a second time. Oh, yes, sir. I'm shouting because chapter 7 didn't look good, but there was a chapter 8. It didn't look good when they lost the battle, but there was another chapter. It didn't look good when the men died, but there was another chapter. Somebody said there's another chapter in my life. Yes, there is. There's another chapter. There's another chapter. The story that ended like this. The story doesn't end with me going down. The story ends with me bouncing back. The story doesn't end like this. But I told you there were one of two scenarios when your plans don't pan out. What was the first scenario? The plan was plagued. I gave you four things to check. But you ready for the second one? Here's the second thing that happens when your plans don't pan out. Y'all ready? The plan was a trap door to another plan. And that, my friends, will be on Wednesday Night Live. Stand on your feet. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.